How much do you see in treating adolescents and teens and young adults where they're raiding their parents' um, liquor cabinet and or prescription medicine? Yes, they honestly will get it wherever they can. You know, at first when they're experimenting, that's not what's going to happen so much. Typically, experimentation, I I would say, happens outside of the house. Now, that's not a research fact. That's just a kind of an experience and, and hearing kids talk. It's not that they snuck into the liquor cabinet and tried something necessarily. It's a lot of like we're out and someone had a drink or they had pot and I I just tried it, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing versus the first time it being at home necessarily. As it gets further along in the progression and they get less scared of it or it becomes less mystified, that's when I think more people would go into the parents' alcohol and their prescription medications That because that's a little bit riskier. That's, you know, stealing in a way. Right. And so yeah. kind of is a different level of using, I think. Would that be one of the signs that we would look for that our child may have crossed from experimentation into heavier usage? Mm -hmm. Yes, because at that point, they're not as worried about it. And they're obviously being a little bit more daring with it even. And that means that there's more motivation behind the use, you know, in any sort of addiction kind of thing, the tolerance increases and too, like the preoccupation with it increases. And so do the disregard for consequences. You get more Uh, into that denial place of not worrying about what this really means. It doesn't feel like I'm stealing my parents' liquor. It's just, it's there and they They're not going to notice. I'm just using it. And I'm just minimizing this whole issue, you know. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit further along usually. And at what point do we say this has crossed the line from what we think is normal to abuse? Where do you say that and say you're going to treatment? Well, you know, and I think that there's a gray area in there as well. When we start noticing that our kids are seeming too comfortable with the drug culture or the alcohol culture, Mm -hmm. I think it's time to maybe send them to a counselor as a preventative measure to get them talking, get them opening up, get someone else to help evaluate the situation. And, you know, that can help be just an assessment tool to use of where are we here. And two, you know, if they're shutting down and they're not talking about how their feelings, if they don't know how they feel, those are indicators, too, that they are at risk to use, you know, or to come up with other maladaptive coping strategies. And so, you know, that's the first line of defense. I do want to stress this. If your child ends up in an emergency room for anything drug or alcohol related, take them directly to a mental health hospital and have them evaluated. So many parents minimize that. It's like, as a therapist, it's the saddest thing to me because that is such a huge red flag. And so many parents, they go straight into denial because it scares them so badly. Mm -hmm. And they just bring them home and then act like, oh, everything will be fine. They learn their lesson, quote unquote. When that's probably not the case at all. It's a huge cry for help. Yes. Yeah. When kids are ending up in the hospital be, having their stomach pumped, then that means right. go directly. To a mental do health not, facility. Do not fast go. Exactly. Get them into treatment. I can't stress that enough. I have seen so many parents, even after their kids have been through a hospital program, they relapse, they end up in the hospital, and the parents bring them home and take them to the mountains for the weekend. Oh, they need to relax. And I'm thinking, they need supervision. They need help. They're emotionally very upset. They need something. More than just their parents in a slight break. Right. So, Tara, I think we've covered from experimentation all the way to the extreme where they end up in the hospital. Right. Can you go back through and let's just review for the parents again, what is it that we can do, just sort of bullet points, helping to talk to our kids, maybe prevent them from getting in over their heads? Yes. 
Um, well, one thing is just our presence. I want to stress how important that is, is as parents, it is very crucial that we are around during this time in their lives. We all remember how stressful it was to be a teenager and to deal with peer pressures and our changing bodies and everything changing. So the more we can be around our kids and help them get into positive activities, that's mm-hmm. just going to decrease the amount of time they've got to do all the other peripheral pieces. So I can't stress the importance of that enough. There was even a study I read yesterday that was saying parents who have dinner with their children five to seven days a week are about 40% less likely to use than kids that don't have that. I saw that and the um, church going mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of, it really, if you get back to it in a way, it's the old fashioned, you know, <laughs> Mayberry, down, Mayberry or, or the Cleavers, <laughs> but there was some, some validity to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for parents to be physically around mm-hmm. as important as when they were little teeny kids, right. maybe more. Right. Okay. And two, for accountability purposes, you know, like we're saying, being around around, smelling around. If they are going out, you know where they're going, who they're going with. You follow up. Even if the parent is always there when they go with Susie, you still call and make sure that time because they know when those little loopholes are going to happen. And that's when they plan to do different things that they know are not permissible or not okay with their parents. When they get home, there's a curfew and they're on time or there's a consequence. And, of course, consequences have to be reinforced and have to be used. If we say we're going to do something, we do it. Um, We have to be concrete and consistent or else what we say has very little validity or meaning to them. When they get home, I would get in around them. Right. I usually do the old, come give me a kiss goodnight. Uh Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Because we want to be aware. You know, if they're coming home and they've been drinking, we'll be able to smell it. Mm -hmm. And if they do, we have to address it. If we want to put our blinders on and should be fine, they're just They were just with so-and-so. It'll be okay. That's not the truth. We have got to dig in and talk about it and be ready to communicate. Of course, grades, like looking at their grades, looking at um, the way they're functioning out in the world. What about the drug testing? At at what point do you do that? Like if, say, if they're going to go to a big party and they're, oh, I promise I'm not going to have anything to drink or I'm not going to smoke pot. Oh, those other kids do, but I don't. When do you say, okay, great, you can go, but just be ready to take a drug test tomorrow? <laughs> I Honestly, I feel probably because I'm in the field, I'm much more comfortable with drug screens than probably most parents are. However, I think that they're such a great tool out there. And if the kid knows I'm going to get drug screened from time to time, they're going to be more thoughtful and more you know deliberate in their actions. I think definitely after we know they have experimented at all, I think at that point we when we talk to them, we do say, just for my own peace of mind, I'm going. we are going to do some random drug screens from time to time. And it's not that we think you're going to start using out of control or anything like that. Just as a parent, I need to have that peace of mind. I need to be responsible for you and, and make sure what's happening. And if they're not random, <laughs> we get in trouble because uh, kids have, they're very savvy. And think about the Internet and how easy it is to find how to cover up your use. And people go to extraordinary lengths to cover up their drug use, especially if they're far into it. Mm -hmm. They really are going to know from their peer group, because their peer group will likely be using if they're that heavy into it. They all know how to cover it up with different kinds of drug screens. So you want to buy different kinds of drug screens, and you want to introduce them in a very benign way, you know. 
yes, you can go to this party. I'm going to tell you I have reservations about it. I'm nervous about it. My gut is telling me to be careful with this with you. And so we're going to do a drug screen when you get home. And that one thing, too, I've noticed, it seems that kids want something to blame it on. Mm -hmm. They can go to the party and say, I can't. My mom's giving me a drug test tomorrow. And you give them a perfect excuse, you know, and it helps them in that language because they can always use that. You know, I get screened sometimes, and so I'm not even going to mess with that. And so it does help them have more reasons not to do it if they are going to resist. And we tell them ahead of time, if your drug screen or alcohol screen comes back positive, Mm -hmm. here will be the consequences. Exactly. And again, we have got to follow through on those consequences. Otherwise, it becomes meaningless and they know that and they will use that to, well, last time you said I would get in trouble and I didn't really. And then it becomes more ambiguous, more gray, and um, we kind of lose our power as parents in the decision making or, or in just staying as firm as we want to. And the one last thing, and that this is what everybody says is so important, and I think it's so nebulous, but maybe you can nail it down for us. <laughs> you have to communicate with your child. And it's like, okay, everybody thinks they communicate, but what does that really mean to you as a therapist? By the time you see them, they've obviously probably dropped out in the communication <laughs> process. Well, that is such a perfect question. Um, there is a, a general framework for some families and that are high in substance use and other maladaptive coping, and it's called a, a high-denial, low-conflict family dynamic. Okay. And I think a lot of us out there probably know what that is because a lot of us probably experienced it. But it's where in either our family of origin or or in our current family, we don't want to see what's going on really. It's really hard to address a problem or to state a problem. And then it's hard to talk about it because we don't like confrontation or we don't feel comfortable really talking to people about um, difficult or emotional things. If we are operating that way, that's what our kids are learning, and they're not going to know how to communicate well, and they're going to end up going towards maladaptive things more likely than if, you know, we address problems in the family, we don't go around with blinders on, and we know how to be assertive and not have to worry about hurting people's feelings, that kind of thing. Right. You know, we, we have good communication skills ourselves. Or not worried that whatever truth is dug up that we won't be able to cope with as a family. Right. And that, too, we can get help. You know, if, you know, there are all sorts of things that are hard to deal with, and that just means we need more help and we need more skills, and then we go at it just like any other problem. Um, so, yes, it's not being afraid of what you're going to find out. Because, <laughs> again, that's the denial piece. Right. You know, if I'm afraid of what I'm going to find out, I'm really in a small part of denial. Can you say the name of that again? (laughs) It's a high denial, low conflict um, construct in a family dynamic. High denial, low conflict. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that so everything's roses. It's all happy dappy. (laughs) We don't have any problems. Don't air the dirty laundry. That sort of feel. Exactly. Exactly. And that also would just create a place of communicating very superficially in the family. Like if if we don't talk about problems or issues, if there's elephants in the room all the Mm -hmm. time, that's a good indicator that this could become another elephant in the room as well. Tara, this has been so wonderful. I mean, parts of it are very disturbing, but I think that's the reality of the world we live in, and you've given us some great tools. Dr. Tara Arnold, thank Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, Lisa. This was a great opportunity, and I just hope that the parents will be encouraged to communicate with their kids and help us address this problem directly. Well, you've given us some great ways to do it, so thank you. Thank you.